We talked about orthodoxy last week, God is one from Deuteronomy, and we said that whatever he says in his scriptures, we must take because it is far better to know him for him than it is for us to throw onto him what we think, that he is one, that we are to completely love him, unabashedly love him, holistically love him, that there's not one area of your life that should not be touched by Christ. Today, I want to talk about worship. And I want to start off by saying these two things of worship before I read for us the passage on which today's sermon is prepared. My understanding from Scripture is this. There is not one person on planet Earth who is not religious. There is not one, planet, or one person on planet Earth who does not have a God. Now you may say, well, no, 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 clearly that's not the case. I, I know plenty of atheists. No, you don't. The Bible tells us there's not one person who does not believe in God, and we'll get to that. And then the second thing I want you to understand is this. Worship may not be what you thought it was. Worship from the Bible may not be what you think or thought it was, and I hope to challenge that today, and I hope you leave knowing how to worship God for who he is today. With that being said, here's the passage on which today we're going to preach. It's John 5, 41 through 44. It says this. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you have not accepted me. But if someone else comes in his own own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? This is the reading of God's word. I said to you that there is not a single person on planet Earth that is not a worshiper, is not a a God-worshipping person. Here's how I know this. Uh, I did some ministry in a city on the West Coast that was called the most irreligious city in America. It It was constantly called every single study. This is the most irreligious city in all of America. There are fewer people who are part of religion than any other city. And I gotta tell you something, that I found fundamentally false. I actually found the city that I used to do ministry in one of the most religious cities I've ever been a part of. Now, how can I say that? It's not the most Christian, it's the most religious. There's a huge difference. What do I mean by that? Uh, There is, every single Sunday in the city that I moved from, there is three hours worth of standing, cheering, singing, dancing, chanting, dress all the same, look all the same. The Portland Timbers are worshipped every single Sunday for three hours. And we count that as worship because we say, we adore, we sing. I kid you not, there is a bulletin that is handed to you that is thicker than this that you have to flip through to find the chants that are going on, the songs that are happening, the joy that the fellowship brings from all the people there. Now you may be saying, well, that's, that's, very, that's very irreverent of you to say that they are, they are the most religious, that, that is worship. It is. It's worship. It's praise. It's affection for something else that you think will give you affection in totality. And here's my challenge to you today. Do you praise God as a fan, like somebody cheers on a sports team? Or do you praise God for who he is, the one and only sovereign Lord of all creation? And there's a huge difference. There is not one person on planet Earth that does not have their hope, their affection, their love, their joy in something. Do you have it in something? Do you get passionate? Do you get excited? Do you get joyful about something outside of Christ? 
Do you get, do you, are you on cloud nine when you get that pay raise, that you get that pay bump and you go, now I've made it? Do you find joy and affection when that neighbor gives you respect back that you gave them? You go, ah, yes. Do you find joy and adulation in which something other than Christ looks at you and says, I see you? We all are affectionate beings. We can't help but be. Even for those of us who are, I, I call us realists, but the rest of the world calls us pessimists, we're realists. Get it right. Even those of us who are realists, who are pessimists, we all have affection. We all have, we all have love in some way that we say, if this thing gave us love back, if this thing saw us, if this thing appreciated us, my world would go well. Secondly, people often mistake worship for fandom. I'm, I'm making my way through the intro uh, as fast as I can, then we'll get to the three points, but here's what I mean. Every single person worships something, gives affection that they hope in turn gives affection to them. I cheer on the Portland Timbers, and they in turn will win, and they in turn will make me part of them, and we're part of the, the Timbers army, and we all are joyful, right? You do the same thing in your life. People can mistake worship and fandom. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus is sometimes praised for various different things in life, right? Uh, he's praised as a leader. If I was to make the statement, Jesus Christ is the most revolutionary leader in all of history, it would be hard-pressed to find anybody who would disagree with me. You might come up with a couple others. You might say uh, Gandhi might be uh, uh, up there. But if I was to poll the history, the, the chronicles of the world, if I said he is the most revolutionary history, leader in the history of the world, not many people are going to argue with me. Not many people are going to fight with me. But if that's what we think of Jesus, we've missed who he says he is. We might say, well, I like Jesus for his justice. You've missed who Jesus is. I like Jesus because he's a good moral teacher. You've missed who Jesus is. I like Jesus because he's an example for me how to live my life. You've missed who Jesus is. See, we often get Jesus confused with a holiday character. That he knows when I'm doing good, he knows when I'm doing bad, and he's going to bless me accordingly. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who he is at all. Jesus is something completely separate and holy and set apart from what we understand. We do bite-sized chunks of understanding to come to some agreement. Well, you can agree with me that Jesus is a great teacher. Yeah, he's a great moral teacher. He's a great example. He... Jesus says in John, I don't care for that. And it should startle you that he says so. So, here's what I want to say today. Jesus tells us he does not want us to respect him or appreciate him for what we think he is. Doesn't want that. He actually doesn't accept that. If you say, I've used this example several times, in college I had some very, 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 very faulty theology. And I would say to people all the time who would confront me on it, say, well, that's not the Jesus that I worship. And it took a, it took a professor looking me straight in the eyes in front of the whole class. Man, I was just... It was just so much fire thrown on me. He looked at me and said, then you don't worship the God of the Bible. And I said, oh. See, there's a difference between appreciating Jesus for who we think he is and worshiping God for who he says he is. Today, I want you to accept the glory from God. Our vision at Arise is to have people that are worshiping God in all places at all times with all things, not just through song, not just through giving, those things are true, but rather 
the affection of our heart bent towards who he says he is, not who we think he is. That's where worship begins. In order to do that, we must see what worship is not, what worship is, and how do we do it. What worship is not, what worship is, and how do we do it. What worship is not, I already alluded to a little bit, worship is not giving respect and adoration to God. If I was to ask you what is worship, you say, well, we're to sit in reverence to God. We're to, we're to honor him. We're to respect him. Uh, I still have this, uh, so I, I grew up, my, my church when I grew up went through two different phases. Went through a very religious phase and a very gospel phase. And I remember the very religious phase, I had somebody, I, I led music on Sunday and I wore a hat on stage as I was practicing. And you would have thought that I had, I had backhanded Jesus himself. The, the visceral hate that came down on me. And there's a tinge of me that still feels that way. There's a tinge of me that still goes that way, that, that thinks, oh, no, no, I must, I must be right. It's respect. It's, it's me cowing down to Jesus and just being in fear of him always. That's not what worship is. Worship is much more affectionate than that. Worship is not honor, respect, nicety. It's not having courtesy. It's not knowing religious things to say. Christ, let me put it this way. Christ does not need your worship or praise. We, we think all the time, well, it's what I bring to the world. It's, it's me being a gift to God. I'm, I'm such a gift to God. My praise, my voice is such a gift to God. Now, that's true if we understand the biblical way. If we think, oh, no, 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 God needs to hear from me. God, I'm going to withhold my giving because I'm mad at God. I'm going to withhold my prayer because I'm mad at God. I'm going to withhold my affection towards the thing that he finds affection because I'm, God, I'm, I'm very mad at him right now. If you think that hurts God, you don't understand who he is. He does not need your worship. Now, how do I get that? It says in Luke 1940, Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're kind of being foolish. They're kind of looking very, very silly, actually. They're singing and dancing and somebody comes up and says, hey, can you, Jesus, can you tell your disciples to basically like, Slow down, slow your roll, calm down. Just shh, you're being irreverent. You're not being respectful. And Jesus says, I can't stop them. And even if I did stop them, the rocks would cry out in my name. If every single person on planet Earth refused to worship and sing praise to God, you know what would still happen to God? He'd be worshiped and praised. He has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, of voices, singing his praise. You and I, our voices to him are not hurting him. It does not mean to him, he does not say, look at us and go, oh, wow, that really hurts. Do you know why he doesn't say that and actually why it's good we have a God that doesn't say that? Do you know how incomplete somebody is if they need attention and need respect from other people? Now, is respect and attention good? Of course it is. If you went your whole life without getting attention and respect from somebody else, it would hurt you. But God is not somebody who needs that from us because if he did, you know what would be true of God? He'd be incomplete. He wouldn't be perfect. He would be, he would be fallible. He wouldn't be infallible. He wouldn't be sovereign. He would be dependent on you and I. If you do a case study of history of all the gods, there's actually this book out, American Gods, in which there's dueling religion going to war with one another. And there's the gods of old and the gods of new. 
And the gods of old need worship to keep them alive. If you don't worship them, if you don't bring praise to them, if you don't bring sacrifice to them, they start like dying and disappearing. That's, and that's what the world taught. If, if you don't respect them and love them, they'll be forgotten and they'll try to fight out and they'll try to throw lightning at you or something or they'll, they'll not give you uh, your harvest for the year. Ah, oh, that'll make them believe in me again. And what Jesus says is, that's a very small God that needs the praise of somebody who lives 90 years to sing of them. That's not an eternal person. That's a very finite person. Our God does not need that. Why? Because he has eternity singing his voice, singing his praise, singing his name. Where do I get that? It says in John, I do not accept the glory of man. Okay, that should really unsettle you. It unsettled me as I read it. I'm reading through John, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, yes, Jesus is going to look at me, and he's going to say, yes, Clint, I, I love hearing you, you praise me, the glory of you. It says in verse 41, I do not accept glory from human beings. Well, that cuts right through it. That, that gets right to the heart of it. But Jesus, clearly, you, you accept what I have to offer. I do not accept the glory of human beings. That should cut you. You should be asking yourself, well, then why do I sing? You, you should be thinking to yourself, well, Clint, where are you going with this? Because we just sang before this. We're, yes, we should sing. But we must first understand that worship is not about us bringing something good to God. It is rather God who brings something good to us. Whatever we do in worship, it must mean this. It must mean it is as much about what happens to our heart rather than what happens to God's heart as we praise him. It's we have it inverted. We think of ourselves as being a shining example that comes to God and say, God, you're so great. Look at how good I am. Look at how great I am. I'm praising God. And God says, oh, church, you've missed it. Oh, church, thank you, he will say. But you've missed the boat. It's like this. You ever gone to a party where the host, you, you, you go to the party and uh, Everybody is, is showing up at the same time, and you look around, and there's bags and boxes in wrapping paper, and you look down at your hands, and they're empty, and you go, oh, no. Oh, no. And it, social anxiety hits you like a ton of bricks, and you, you quickly slink off to your car, and you run down to whatever store is closest, and you're frantically going down the aisles, and, and you might go to a store that has really good wine, because you know your host really likes wine, and you buy the most expensive bottle that they have, and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be glorious. And you come back with it in, and you present it to the host with shining hope and a smile on your face. And the host looks at you and says, thank you. This is so great. I appreciate it. And sets your bottle of wine down on a table that has hundreds on it, worth 10 times the amount yours is. From all corners of the, of the world, from Australia, from New Zealand, from Argentina, from Chile. And you look at that table, and you go, oh, no. What? Well, I thought my gift was glorious. I thought my gift was great. I thought I did everything I could. I sacrificed for this gift. And God says, yes, you did. And I accept it. I receive it. But don't think that your gift is better than everything else I have. Don't think that you can go ahead. When Satan says to Jesus when he's being tempted in the desert, if you follow me, I'll give you the word, world. And Jesus goes, that's it? That's, that's all you can give me? Oh, oh, you think that's a big deal? Brother, I got the cosmos singing my praise. What do you have? See, I think we imagine ourselves as bringing great honor to Jesus, and the reality is there's nothing we could bring him that he doesn't already have. 
It's like trying to shop for that person. My wife hates shopping for me. Do you know why? Christmas time's coming around. But because if I want it, I just go buy it. She's like, stop buying it. I'm like, oh, I want it. She's like, I can't buy you anything. I'm like, you don't need to. And we get in this, it's bad. Can you imagine trying to get something for God that he has already had possession of? What can you give him that he doesn't already own? I can give him my life. Already has that. I can give him praise and worship. Has people singing perfectly in tune 24-7 about him. I could give him money. He's got a whole treasure trove. See, the first thing we need to understand about worship, it is not about what we bring solely. So then what is worship? It says in John, it says, I do not accept the glory from human beings. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another? Do not seek the glory that comes only from God. What is worship? Church, the easiest way I could put this is this. It's what the Westminster Catechism says in, its first, in its, one of its questions. And what actually the New City Catechism says as well, if you have that on your app for your kids. Question six of the New City Catechism says, how can we glorify God? And the answer is this. We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. The Heidelberg Catechism. Catechism is just a question and answer kind of way for us to understand and learn the Bible. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? And the answer to the catechism to, to that comes from Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And the answer says this, by no means, but God created man good and after his own image in righteousness and true holiness that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and to live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. You know the answer of what is worship? It's this, being human. You and I were created, our DNA, not our bent state, not our, not our natural state that we find ourselves currently in, but in our most natural state when God created us, he created us with an understanding that says, you are best, you are, you are more human when you are connected and know me and glorify me and see me and accept me. That's what worship is. Worship is saying I accept the glory of God that he gives me and I sit and I go, amen, amen, amen. Uh, you ever find a really, really killer, if you guys are hikers, if you like going backpacking or hiking or mountains, you ever find a really incredible trail that you hike up and you go to this really, really crystal clear blue lake, it's got a waterfall and you swear birds are singing past, it's like a cartoon version of itself and you go, this is glorious, and you go, wow. Now, here's a question to you. Why did you say wow? Why did you say this is glorious? Is it you say, well, I find it lovely. That's not true. Because if you bring other people there, here's what you cannot say, and here's, I, I just refuse to believe. When we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that might be true in a couple of silly instances on flavors of food or what movie you like. But there's such beauty, true beauty, that you cannot help but look at and go, oh my God. And not in the Lord's, taking the Lord's name in vain, but truly saying, my God, look what you created. My God, look what you did for me. My God, look at the natural order that you gave me. That's what worship is. Worship is seeing something that is lovely and acknowledging it as lovely. Worship is not then responding to that. Actually, worship starts first in the affections of your heart. 
that then turn into a response. There's a huge difference. If you say to yourself, well, no, I'm, gonna, it's, I'm not praising this thing until I give it a name, until I say, wow, look at this blue lake, look at this hiking trail, look at this beauty. Did it already have that beauty before you spoke it? It did. Don't worry, we're not going philosophy 101 in college course anymore. Don't stop right there. We're not going back there. But the beauty was already intrinsic in the thing before you said anything about it. If you didn't say it, would that make that place any less beautiful? It wouldn't. Somebody else would just stumble upon it and go, oh my goodness, look at this beauty. See, what we need to understand is all too often we think to ourselves, it's what I do in response to God, and the fact of the matter is God already has that natural, intrinsic characteristic about him before you spoke it. We were doing a missions trip overseas, and we were trying to gather a whole bunch of youth in this country that we were in to give a gospel proclamation to. And we sent out invites. We knock on doors. We're feeling so great. We had planned for months and months on what to do, on where to go, on what to say. And I had a sermon prepared, and we were all ready to go. And the night of the event came, and guess how many students showed up to the event? Zero. Not a single student and we look around and we go, well, okay, let's, I don't know, let's go back, let's recoup, let's plan for tomorrow, let's do another thing. And the pastor that we have said, where are you going? We said, well, what are we doing here? This is pointless. He goes, no, it's not. Is God still the same God if 20,000 show up or zero show up? I said, well, he's still the same God. Then praise him for who he is. And we carried on the entire service, preaching to, quote, no human being. Because we said, this is who God naturally is, and I can't help but say it. I can't help but respond. I can't help but bring praise. I can't help but sing but dance. It's like David when the Ark of the Covenant comes back. If you guys don't think the Bible is just crazy, get into it more. Put your nose in the Bible. It's crazy. The Ark of the Covenant, the place where the presence of God is, comes into the city. And David is out there in his underwear dancing. And his wife is saying, oh, dear goodness. Somebody grab that man and bring him inside. And he says, don't you dare. Now, don't worry, we're not enacting a behavior of dancing. That's not going to happen here. Don't, don't worry about that being explicitly practiced here. But what I am saying is this, David understood, I can't help but do the natural responsive thing when I see the glory of God coming into my presence. That's what worship is. Worship is us being more and more human in the likeness of God that he created us, not in our bent state. Worship is us removing the brokenness and putting on the receptivity of what God naturally created in us. Being more human. Uh, there's this book, Dune. It's a sci-fi book. There's a movie coming out about it soon. And in one of the uh, chapters of the book, a character has to put his hand into a box, and this box is it's a pain box. They have to hold their hand in there, and it's a test to see the metal of his worth. And he puts his hand in there, and there's excruciating pain. It's, it's so crushing, it's like his hand is going to fall off. And the point is this. The person who's administering the test says, I'm finding out if you're animal or human. An animal will gnaw off its hand in order to survive. A human will endure pain. I'm finding out if you're animal or human right now. When we worship, we're saying this. Am I animalistic? Am I bent? Am I sinful in what I think I can bring? In worshiping the God that I want to worship? In authoring the God that I want? Or am I human in which I can accept 
who God is and praise him for it. That's what it is. Do you have affection for the natural good things? Do you receive Christ and God for who they say they are, not who you say they are? Do you welcome and receive and accept God and then say in response to him, that's good. Oh, Father, you sent your son to die? Well, what a, what a horrible father. What kind of father would do that? You're missing the point. Father, I accept your sacrifice that you gave me knowing it's the only way. You guys are sinful. Oh, what a horrible thing to say. No, 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 we need more, we need more self-respect. We need more self-esteem in the world. Let me tell you, that's not the problem with the world right now. We need to accept, Jesus tells us we're sinners, yet justified. That Christ didn't save you because of your good works. He saved you because you couldn't do any good works and he needed to do it for you. If that doesn't motivate you, if you don't have a friend that says, no matter what you do or say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you in totality. That's what God says of us. That's who we're to receive and that's who we're to worship. So then how we worship. How do we worship? Receive the truth of God in totality with the affections and stop, church, I urge you. Stop thinking it's what you bring to him, but rather what you receive of him and then respond naturally to. What do I mean? Could you imagine if I came to your house and let's say you hate soccer. You just can't stand it. I came to your house and you're like, no, no, you love soccer. I'm gonna decorate your whole entire house in soccer paraphernalia. It's gonna be on your TV 24-7. We're gonna talk about nothing but soccer and Premier League and World Cup. How long are we gonna be friends? Not very long. Church, why do you do that to God? Why do you say, well, no, God clearly loves this. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't find what you find lovely? And what if instead we are to find what he finds lovely and then say, it is good? Do you know how impossible it is for somebody to accept that they are a broken, fallen, sinful creature that has no good that they can give to the world? That is impossible to try to convince somebody of. I'll never argue that into anybody. You know what I can do, however, is if somebody sees, my God, look what he did for me. God, you are the one who came and died for me because I can't do otherwise, and I must respond naturally in order to say this thing is true. This thing is good. What's the response in worship? What is worship? Receive from God what he says about himself and praise him for it because that is the best way to know him, not to throw onto him. God is the father that we all need. We say amen, we agree and receive it. God is the author of salvation, not me. We agree and receive it. God is the son who gave and served for us. We agree and we receive it. God is the spirit who empowers us to accomplish all good works. We agree and receive it. A fish who is thrown in water does not say, how dare you? It says, thank you. Be the fish that God says, here's what I want for you. Receive from me the things that I have for you. And we go, thank you. Thank you for the water that brings life to me. Thank you for the way in your creating me. Thank you for the way in which you instruct me. Thank you for the ways in which you lead me. Thank you for the ways in which you tell me, don't go down that road, it's death. 
the most loving thing God can do for us, and the response we have is to tell us, you're dead and dying and going to hell, and yet I gave my son for you. The most loving thing I could do for your child as they run onto train tracks is not say, let them think whatever they think. Let them do whatever they want to do. It's not my life. How, how dare I step in for them? Oh, how unloving would that be? The most loving thing I could do is grab that child off the train tracks and say to them, you are going to die if you do this again. And the child should not say to me, how dare you tell me what to do? They should say, thank you. Why? It's a natural, affectionate response. That's why. For somebody to see, here's death and here's life, and you brought me into life from death, thank you. There's worship. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference in our affection when we give to God the praise that is naturally his, when we join with all the angels, when we join with heaven, when we enjoy ourselves as a church with him. Now, how does that come out? Ah, it comes out in the most human of reactions. If you talk to anybody who studies history, it's incredible. There are two things that they will study and they will go to and they will show that human beings have a consistent nature upon all the historical lines. Art, singing, and dance. Have our politics changed throughout the years? Yes. Governance systems? Yes. Culture? Yes. Values? Yes. Morals? Yes. You know the thing that is constantly there? Art, singing, dancing, affectionate worship and praise of good things. It is our natural and good inclination to look at something that is true, that is beautiful, and say, this thing is beautiful. I didn't make it such. It already was, but now I get to receive, and I get to join with that thing that's beautiful, and I get to ask other people, come. When you find a great restaurant, do you just keep it to yourself? Some of you did, by the way. Uh, some of you didn't tell me about Shahi Palace, and I'm, st I'm still mad. Don't whatever me. Your husband and I still have beef about that, okay? Do you keep it to yourself or do you say, this thing is beautiful and glorious. Come taste and see how good it is. You do. That's worship. That's praise. That's glory. That God already had before the beginning of time that we get to join in singing. So church, here's my challenge to you. Are you affectionately drawn to things that are outside the gospel, outside of God, outside of Christ? You're suckling on dirt of the earth that won't fill you. Or are you praising God for who he naturally is, for who he has exposed himself to us? He's revealed and we say, oh, that's good. Start there and then respond with singing, with worship, with praise. In your whole entire life, whether you eat or drink, as scripture says, do everything in the name of God. Whether you are at home, in public gatherings, your first and foremost says, I see God for who he is and I want more of him and I can't help but respond in praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and who you are. May our praise, may our, our adoration, may our worship be a natural outflow of who we know you to be, who we see you to be, and who we hope to become because of that. Son's holy and precious name I pray, amen.